John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 1042.LV1104, certificate number 45334, The Red Ghost. You know, this is a... This is a Game of Thrones episode. I think The Red Ghost is a Fantastic Four villain. A Soviet, a Soviet guy who lives on the moon with a bunch of super apes. And then the Silver Surfer comes and good life if you can get it right. Yeah, until the Silver Surfer whacks you around. Until it's clobbering time. <laughs> uh, no, this is a red ghost from the days of the Frontier. Oh, and uh, I think we can be open about the fact that the American West is probably overrepresented on omnibus oh well sure and this is a particular you and i are products of it yeah exactly i mean i know you don't want to concede it but you have to and this is um this is a corner of american history that i think is not super obscure but i i had never heard of the red ghost until recently every every history story is better with a cryptid i feel like i'm i might have had a couple of cap guns ivory handled cap guns that were called the red ghost. He does seem like an outlaw, like yeah. a guy robbing stagecoaches with a red bandana over, over half his face. But that's not it. This is a, this is an even stranger figure of the, uh, of the frontier. This is a place where the American West and cryptozoology Ooh. overlap because the red ghost is a mysterious, uh, wanderer of the night, uh, uh, bedeviling. And in some cases, uh, killing residents of southeastern Arizona, like a flying Dutchman of the of the prairie, sort of. Yeah, um, yeah, actually, quite quite a bit. He is a he is a spectral figure. Um, the red the the uh, account of the red ghost that I'm relying on here is an article that a Western author named Robert Froman wrote for American Heritage Magazine in 1961. So. Somewhere, this is probably moldering in your uh, relative's desk drawer with a picture of, uh, of Angie Dickinson on the cover. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, in the spring of, ni- of 1883, okay. southern Arizona is then at the height of, you know, just decades-long Apache Wars. 1961, when the article was published, would have been within living memory. That's true, and that's actually going to 
come into our account. Froman did actually speak to, you know what, I don't know who this guy is, but you look at his other books and they do seem to be about Western lore, Western stories, um, you know, islands of the, of the, uh, what, the northern part of America that could be, you know, lake islands that could be purchased if you want to buy an island. Uh, weird, weird mid-century nonfiction that is sitting in a library sale somewhere right now. Is he related to Abe Froman, the sausage yeah. king of Chicago? He's probably maybe the sausage prince, uh-huh. the sausage duke. Ah, uh, the sausage prince. <laughs> uh, so in the 1880s, Arizona is in its, what, I don't know, third decade of being mean to the Apaches, and the Apaches are not taking it. Geronimo is going to stick it to the U.S. government and the cavalry for as long as he possibly can. I can't wait to hear how this story turns out. It is. It does not end well for Geronimo. I'm afraid. He, uh, but he puts up a good fight. Um, He uh, wages really total war on uh, the attempts of white folks to settle the American Southwest, and that includes a lot of stuff that we would consider pretty brutal today. You know, like we have no tradition of, you know, uh, taking infants from their parents and immediately executing them. But, you know, the Apaches had been driven to such behavior. Well, I mean, witches did. Uh, like Satanic Panic era stuff? Like <laughs> yeah. 80s daycare centers? No, no, I'm talking about, you know, old witches, like oh, burn at the stake Salem, type witches. Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, they probably, I don't know. Probably weren't I, actually I'm, doing that. I'm led to believe the feminist take on witches is they were probably just, you know, nice midwives or doulas healing somebody's warts and then some governor got a got his panties in a twist. Yeah, but what about real witches? Uh, you just pour water on them, right? Oh. You don't have to arrange some crazy kind of some crazy kind of show trial with uh Paul Schofield or something. <laughs> just toss some water on him. I'm problem melting. solved. You don't even have the Monty Python ethical problem because if you were wrong, they can just go dry off somewhere. Right. They're made of wood. You're not drowning them even if they're not made of wood. They're fine. They're they're a little damp. So Geronimo was uh, was Geronimo's, forced to uh, to commit to total war. I don't know if he was forced to, but the traditions of his of his tough desert people said we take no prisoners. Right. Um, some scalping, some noses, and so a lot. You know, he's kind of a you know, he's a spectral presence in this story. But you have to understand the kind of fear that white settlers on the Arizona New Mexico border would have been feeling in the 1880s. You know, oh, they, I can understand. They're just trying to, because you still feel this way about people of color. Well, no, when I'm on the, <laughs> when I'm on the Arizona, New Mexico border now, right. I'm like, uh, get me out of here. Uh, this was, this entry was inspired by down. spending some time in the, in the beautiful Arizona uh, desert this weekend. And, uh, I saw a cactus wren, the state bird. Oh, I saw a saguaro, which is the state. Cactus. One would assume. Yeah. Did I, you see a roadrunner? I did see a roadrunner. Meet me. It went zipping by outside our hotel room, and I called the kids in, and they were delighted to see it. They they do really have the crest on their head, and they do zip around. They're not blue and purple. Oh, and they don't beep. How do you know? Were you close enough to it to hear hear whether it beeped or not? <laughs> I I used the quadro tracker, and it was not beeping. Did you see a large hadron collider? Did you see a a, a, a is that solar sta- array? Is that is that the states? Uh, Official collider. atomic collider, <laughs> particle uh, no, accelerator. I, I think that one is that one's uh, in uh, like in Switzerland, but no, you know, like the big satellite array or the big uh, so, like the all those arrays. And when you see that, when you see that in movies, it's always um, time lapse sped up so yeah. that they, you know all the things turn real quick. 
Yeah. And I think in in real life, I'd just be let down. I'd yeah. be like, hey, make it go quick like it does on Koyana Scotsy. And the guy would be like, sir, we, they, they don't actually go that, that fast. That takes four days. That would be physically impossible. <laughs> yeah, it would, if we want to repoint this into the Andromeda Galaxy, it will take literally till Tuesday. Watch Koyana Scotsy again. <laughs> it, it goes day, night, day, night, day, night. But uh, if you're a settler uh, in this part of the, of the desert at the time, you are just trying to raise sheep or cattle or what have you, and... Apache raids are going to knock down your fences. They're going to take your sheep and eat your mutton. Um, as a result, on one particular sheep ranch in uh, 1883, two women are uh, in their adobe house while their you know, husbands, brothers, whatever, while the men are out ranching. Uh, ranching. And in, in, in particular, I think the men are out either... I think they're trying to recover some sheep that have been let out by the latest um, Apache fence-breaking raid. They're sheep punching. Um, and the women are now home alone in Apache country, but they're they're accustomed to this. They, they live with this kind of danger. Um, one of them heads out to a nearby spring behind the house where there's a lovely copse of willows to fetch some water. And she's only been gone for a minute when the second woman, who's still in the house, uh, hears a dog barking. And she goes to the window. But to, there is no dog. She does own a dog. The dog's inside the house. She goes to the window to see what it is the dog is uh, so perturbed about and sees an enormous, what she describes as an enormous monster, just a, a vast red shape. Um, being ridden by a devil. Hmm. Again, most of the most of the unusual shapes you see, and I see some unusual shapes from time to time. Few of them, few of them are being ridden by the devil. Right. It's Indeed. a very it's a very specific observation. She screams, barricades the door, and uh, apparently spends the rest of the day in. Uh, I, no, I guess she she hears screams from outside, but instead of going to see if her friend's okay. She is so spooked by this apparition that she barricades the door and kneels down and spends in the account that later appears in the Mojave County Minor, spends the rest of the day in hysterical prayer. Huh. Is there, you know, maybe new atheists would say there's no other kind of prayer, but in this case, Whoa. particularly hysterical because a giant, uh, a giant devil has just menaced uh, this other woman. I mean, I have some questions. If it's a giant being ridden by a devil... Seems like just closing and locking the door isn't going to be sufficient defense. If prayer is a sufficient defense, it doesn't matter whether you lock the door or not. It shows a lack of faith that she locked the door. Yeah. Really. Seems like you should kneel right there in front of the monster and a say— A true believer would say, yeah. the power of Christ compels you. Or right. What do you say? Is that what the exorcist says? Yeah, I think so. Well, not even kneel. I think you would stand there and hold up a crucifix and go, be gone. Maybe she didn't have a crucifix handy, although in an adobe house in Arizona in the 1880s, come on. I'm sure it was right over the door, but she she abandoned her friend, which is the which is the real drag. When the men come back that night and hear her story and wonder, you know, where's the other woman, they immediately light torches and head out to the copse of willows, and they find the body of the second woman trampled so badly that it's it's basically flat. Oh. She has become a I was going to say pancake, but maybe tortilla would be more appropriate given the geography. Sure. Uh, and, you know, they're skeptical about the story told by the woman at the window, but they do find 
long red hairs in the willow trees, and they see the prints of uh, like cloven devil's hooves bigger than any horse. Uh, so well, I'm convinced. It's yeah. This is the uh, this is uh, the Arizona devil. This is oh. the, the red ghost exists. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's American. Wait, are the Arizona devils named after this red ghost? Are there Arizona devils? There's oh, the sun devils. I think the sun devil must be something that's a, else. That's an atmospheric disturbance. Is that like a is that like a wind or something? Sun devil is some kind of some like kind a mirage. A mirage, isn't it? I don't know. I can find ASU fans saying that it's like a dust devil, that it's like a desert whirlwind of some kind. But hmm. I, I can't actually find any corroboration for that. It might just be made up in the same way that a demon deacon is not a real kind of deacon or a blue devil is not a real kind of devil. You know, for a long time, I felt that Arizona State wasn't a real college. So maybe it all goes hand in hand. You're thinking I'm going to get so many angry letters. Isn't it just like the University of Phoenix? It's one of those fake back of the phone <laughs> book. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, you're going to get the angry letters. I, I took it. I, I, took the, out of it. I took the hit for you. Um. So a coroner from Solomonsville is actually called in, and he finds the whole thing very suspicious. You know, he doesn't want to report a death by, death by diabolical monster. But in the end, he allows the jury to say it was uh, death in some manner unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, and there the case ends, except that the sightings of this cryptid continue. Uh, just a few days later, there are a couple of prospectors panning for gold on a nearby creek and suddenly in the middle of the night their tent just comes down on their heads and they're hooting and hollering as you do as a prospector will um they hear a scream and pounding hooves and they see an animal bigger than anything they've ever seen in their life uh heading off into the chaparral not uh, being ridden by a devil uh, well it's too dark to see perhaps right um when they when they bring back a group of miners to the scene and again long red hairs and suspiciously large Hoof tracks heading off into the into the high country. Now, were those two miners, would they have already heard the tale? Or did this happen far enough away and close enough in time that these were separate? I mean, they're only a couple miles away and a few days later. Okay, so. Um, but, I don't know, back then, right. would, would you have known about a, a weird happening on a, on a ranch a couple miles away? Maybe not. Famously, prospectors keep to themselves. They do. That's one of their things. They're hermits. They don't want you to, to grub their steak or exactly. stake their grub or... Either one. Or whatever. Ken, at Jeopardy, what happens when you get into HR problems? We have an HR department because we're a big TV show owned by a big film and television company owned by a giant Japanese electronics company. They must have 10,000 HR people working in a giant ziggurat. That's right. That's right. If you go to the Sony lot in Culver City, you'll see that ziggurat where the the HR flunkies are toiling. They all look like the little functionaries from a Terry Gilliam movie, (laughs) just functioning away at their desks. And that's hard to duplicate for people who want to run a business but don't have their own ziggurat. What what should they do, John, in that case? Well, that's the thing. If I started a business, I would, A, not have a ziggurat, and B, almost certainly have HR problems almost immediately. Like, can you imagine uh, me running a business where HR wasn't a pretty major issue? Well, I mean, just the little things like an employee not showing up on time. Or what if or, I didn't show up on time or even at all? Yeah, HR should be talking to you. <laughs> but if you have a business but you don't want to figure out running your own HR department 
and ziggurat maintenance, let us recommend Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E. With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're always available to you by phone, email, real-time chat. So no matter what your business is, no matter what you have to do that day, onboarding, terminations, performance reviews, uh, compliance with HR regulations, all that gets taken care of. And with Bambi's HR autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Do you think the HR autopilot can also like fly a plane? Uh, I think it can land a plane in an emergency, but you wouldn't want to rely on it. If it's an HR emergency, like a harassment accusation in the cockpit, that's when the HR autopilot takes over. Even if you aren't paying for like the HVAC costs of running a ziggurat in Southern California, (laughs) HR managers can easily cost $80,000 a year. And that's not even in Seattle, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, LA. Right. That's a Spokane number. (laughs) Yeah. How does is Bambi less than that? Let's say it, is it like seventy grand a year? Bambi starts can at ninety nine dollars a month. Wow! And yeah. for that, you get a dedicated HR manager, a U.S. based person to yeah. take over all your HR needs. Yeah, let's round up and say, uh, say what fifteen hundred bucks a year? Yes, that seems like it's like what you just, it's one sixtieth what the what you'd pay an HR manager. Yeah. So schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash Omnibus right now. That's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Omnibus. Bambi.com slash Omnibus. At this point, with these two incidents known to the mining community and to the ranching community, this is when stories start to circulate. And Mm -hmm. people around campfires and bunkhouses alike start talking about what could be in those hills. Mr. Clickety-Clack. Um, yeah, they call it Mr. Cl- they call it Mr. Clickety-Clack. That just sounds like an evil imaginary friend from a Stephen King novel. <laughs> Did you ever get menaced by Mr. Clickety-Clack? I've been menaced by Mr. Clickety-Clack, and now I've passed it on to my own child. They, uh, you know, in the stories, the stories, of course, get better and better. Now this thing can appear and disappear at will. If you try to confront it, it'll turn into a grizzly bear. And amble into the night with cloven hooves. Yeah, I don't know how that. I don't know if the hooves stay the same when it's a grizzly bear. Uh, Is it still bipedal and stealing picnic baskets? I I don't know. You know, there are enough futurelings out there that like to do drawings of things that we talk about. I do not want to see a grizzly bear with cloven hooves. Please move on to the next. Because you think it's a waste of time, or because you're deeply afraid? Deeply, I I don't. I don't even want to think about. Only two things scare you: the state of West Virginia. And a grizzly bear that can't pick anything up because now he's got hooves. Does he have horseshoes? No, no, they're 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 not uh, they're not a horse hoof. They're a devil hoof. A devil hoof. What, what's the difference? Well, a, to you? a goat hoof. Yeah, it's t- maybe taller. Like the goats are kind of. Well, they're they're cloven. Mm. It's right there in the name. The cleave is what. No horse. A horse doesn't have a cloven hoof. A cloven hoof is a is a. That's is, what. That's when you have like. Two toes, so it's the like, effectively split. It's split in the middle, yeah. So, so like, like a like, like a, a pig or, or a, a goat or, or a Satan or a Satan, right? They right. have cloven hooves. So you can. That's why if you if you're Jewish, you can't eat Satan because you it's cannot not, eat Satan. It's not kosher. That's right there in the, right there in the Torah. Uh, Levit- but you can eat horses all day. Uh, the uh, and it's at this point that the local folklore lands upon on the strength of the red hair that has been found and the few eyewitness accounts. This is when this 
desert creature begins to be known as the Red Ghost. Or, according to this American Heritage article, Fantasia Colorado, which appears to be wrong on a couple levels. I mean, the word for ghost is not fantasia, it's phantasma. Okay. And certainly it would be Colorado, not Colorado. I don't know. But in any case... What a, uh, Col- Colorado means red hair? It means colored, colored red. Oh, colored red, okay. Like, you know, it, well, it literally it means colored, but at the, the reason why it's called the Colorado River, for example, is because of the, I think, the red rock formations. It, it, it muddies it up. Like, you're, when your skin goes colored, you turn red. And I think by the same usage, Colorado just means colored red. I see. Uh, a few months later. Uh, so did the woman who first saw the monster, did she by any chance have long red hair? Is she well, just you th- a you think serial she turned killer? Into it? You think she turned into a giant creature of the night? Or? No, I think she's just a, like a trampling, like she's got a. Oh, the one who didn't die. The one that didn't die. You think she trampled her neighbor and covered it up? Yeah, she went and trampled her her lady friend and then was like, oh, what am I going to tell the guys? I mean, then as now, people with, women with fiery red hair do commit a ton of murders. Exactly. They're not to be trusted. Uh, I think that would have occurred to the coroner from Solomonsville. I bet her her hair was not a close match. Okay. Um, About a month later... There is a third encounter with the Red Ghost. And this is uh, like 80 miles northwest near the Salt River. Um, there is a rancher named Cyrus Hamblin who has climbed a ridge looking for some... Red Ghosts. Some escaped cattle, Oh, actually. Um, and he's looking around. And as he looks down across the ravine... He sees a big red animal, bigger than anything he knows to live in the desert, like moving through the brush. And he is freaked out because, you know, the thing about the red ghost is it's it's bigger than you think it is. Right. Even if even if you think you know how big the red ghost is. I mean, one of the the key elements here is that all three people have described it by saying it's bigger than anything else. Well, if you live you know, if you live out there. Yeah. You know, in addition to the horses and mules you've brought with you, there's just nothing that big yeah, out on you know, the. You know what's there. You're not going to see anything bigger than a, a rattlesnake or a Gila monster or a roadrunner. Is there any big red-haired mammal in the Americas that could have just gotten lost? Jill like, St. John. <laughs> it could be no, Jill St. John. She's not born yet. What about uh, what about the Wyoming red-haired elephant? <laughs> Sadly, it's been extinct since the Pleistocene. Oh, damn it. Uh. I mean, I think if you know anything about the West, you know where this is going because this is not a particularly obscure level of history. And, and Cyrus Hamblin is well-schooled enough to, after he gets over his initial, what the hell is that? He thinks to himself, oh, I know exactly what that is. This is a Tasmanian dr- devil. dromedary camel. Whoa. He, he has seen a one-humped camel moving across the bluff. Um he Cyrus is educated enough to be able to tell a camel from a monster with a devil on its back. Well, even back then, if you've got a book of Bible stories, you've probably seen an illustrated book of Bible stories. That's true. Well, I, I'm not. I don't believe the Bible is a book of Bible stories. Although you're right, in retrospect, it's probably. Oh, I see. It's the main book of Bible stories. <laughs> I meant like a children. Have you seen this children's book of Bible stories? It's called the Bible. <laughs> hey, kids, maybe read the real thing for a change. 
and this because this guy is a uh, this guy's a respected ranch, uh, rancher, so he's believed. Unlike the the miners and even worse hysterical women who who had who had reported the first encounters. Um, but from his point of view atop this mesa, he can also see that it's not just a camel, but the, the, the ridden by the devil part of the story appears to pay off. There is a rider on its back. And even from this distance, he can tell that that rider is flopping around like something that is not alive. Oh, no. Um, so he tells his story and he's believed, but nobody can believe that he's actually seen a camel With a ma- dead mounted rider. by a corpse. Even the even the sober-minded people of Salt Creek who say, well, if Cyrus says he sees a camel, there must be a camel. Um, you must have just seen the hump. And he's like, no, I know what, a, you know, I know the size of a dromedary hump. There shouldn't be an additional guy flopping around up there. Well, then that sounds like something you would say. Is that something Cyrus said? I know the size of a dromedary hump. Uh, yeah, he insists okay. that he has seen well enough to know that it's not, he knows there's a hump back there and there's also something else on the hump. Something on the hump. I'm inventing dialogue. Do you, do you not like Cyrus speaking in my voice? Well, no, it's all right. It's all right. That <laughs> took me, took me a minute to get used to. <laughs> Maybe I need to get into character. Hold on. Yeah. Well, I saw him from a fair piece away. That's good. And what Believe I reckon. It. Believe it now. Is there was a man on that hump. So, uh, and just a few weeks later. The Red Ghost turns up in a river valley about 60 miles west, and this time there are more witnesses. Five prospectors see it on a mesa, just chomping away on the on the desert foliage, and they think, hey, whatever that is, let's get close enough to shoot it. Sure. Because this is... <laughs> There's five of them together. This is a deep, instinctive drive in the, in the species. Um, they don't... They're unsuccessful at getting a kill shot, and the ghost lopes away gets you know further away so that they can't shoot it but they see something fall and when they go to investigate they find that what has fallen from the back of the red ghost is a human skull that still has some some shreds of of skin and hair on it um so the red ghost is as grisly an apparition as as maybe our original witnesses would have thought now, th- this creates a legend of a of a cryptid in the region that lasts for the next decade. You know, I don't know if parents are scaring their children by saying, the red ghost, the haunted camel of the Arizona desert will come and get you. But, but people know about this strange flying Dutchman of a creature, you know, because like the flying Dutchman, it has its own ghostly crew. Right. Uh, a, now, a now skullless, apparently, uh, body dangling from its hump. And as you may have guessed, camels are not uh, native to the 19th century American West. There, there, there were ancient camels here. Camels originated here. Yeah. And when I say here, I don't mean suburban Seattle. That right. I don't know. Perhaps they were. Um, camels originally evolved in the Americas. You know, the llamas and vicuñas of South America are still camelids. From that family, and as recently as uh, fifteen thousand years ago, there was there was a camel in you know the California, what is now Western United States, uh, as recently as fifteen thousand years ago, um, when it went extinct, uh, possibly as one of these megafauna species that f- first ran up against the first people coming, people who the had other way. people who had sticks and rocks and fire, and they did not survive the encounter. 
But we've talked on Omnibus before about how Jefferson Davis brought camels over in order to fight the war. I don't. It's never certainly never been its own entry. Um, it may it must have come up in passing when we talked about invasive species because we're very Omnibus is pro cryptid, but we're very anti invasive species. We are anti Jefferson Davis too. Oh man, I can't think of a nice thing to say about that guy except. For the camels he brought to the Arizona desert. Well, you know, when did we talk about it? Am I just am I just uh, misremembering a conversation I had in a cafe with a couple of bored friends where I was telling them about camels being imported to the American West, or did we talk about it on Omnibus? I'm sure we did. Uh, we talked about camel beauty pageants at one point. Okay, that's what it was. So at that point, maybe in passing. Yes, we talked about camels in America. The story of how camels arrived in America is pretty interesting, as we apparently we have covered before. Mm. It has Jefferson Davis in it. Uh-huh. Okay, good. He's not yet um, he's not yet a, a, a traitor to his country. In right. fact, he's the Secretary of War under Franklin Pierce. the uh, The idea that camels could profitably be brought to the Great Basin actually goes further back. It starts in 1836 with an explorer named George Crossman. Yeah. who, uh, in crossing the the deserts of the American West, thought the problem here is that, you know, lack of water and the horses and mules are terrible at it. Um, but camels, famously, you know, knowing they're from whatever limited old world knowledge he had, he thought camels would be a great pick and we needed to try this out. And he petitioned the army. Um, for an investigation of how camels would do, uh, you know, supplying forts and posts in the American West. The it, fact that this all sounds very familiar means that we've talked about it or that this was some kind of pillow talk between me and a sexy lady at some point in my life. And it really, really burned into my memory. In your, in your experience, does this often work as pillow talk to mention oh, no, the, I'm, uh, I'm suggesting the that, camel corps of the 1830s? That she was saying it to me. Oh, I see. She was like, have I ever told you about this? You know, and that really camels. would work. I'd be like, I was, I was super skeptical when it was the other way. But now that she's the one being like, do you know about the camel? Oh, no, the, the, the stuff that I say, I, I don't remember. I barely remember it now. But as you might expect of the U.S. Army then and now, uh, they did not immediately put the wheels in motion. They studied this idea for about 19 years. <laughs> it went up and down through channels. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until uh, Jefferson Davis finally in 1855 persuaded Congress to allocate money for it. That something was done. Davis persuaded Congress that thirty thousand dollars should profitably be spent on a finding some camels. Yep. B first, got to find them, bringing them to the United States, and you got to schlep them. And so, with money in hand, Jefferson Davis sends two officers, a Major Wayne and a Lieutenant Porter, across the Atlantic to the Mediterranean, to the Near East, to see what they could rustle up in the way of camels you better be careful rustling over there they didn't actually rustle them i mean they were willing to they had thirty thousand dollars oh sure in appropriations that'll help you rustle they had gold they had good ingots they had to smyrna the markets of smyrna in greek Uh in greece and alexandria in egypt they didn't quite get to native camel country but these are maybe the points closest to uh rome and therefore civilization the nearest trattoria where they thought they could pick up a camel and they end up buying 33 camels yeah for that's uh, how old jesus was when he died and that's why that's why they chose that number um they spent about 250 dollars each uh major wayne had a good deal of experience as a horse trader 
And he read up on camels. He, you know, this is a overachiever. Uh-huh. This is a real, uh, what's it called? Uh, message to Garcia kind of army officer. Uh-huh. He did not stop to say, camels, what? Yeah. He was like, I'll check out a library book. Yeah. And, no, I'm, I'm Mr. Camel now. And see what can be done. They um, bought 33 camels. They arrived home with 34 <gasps> through a camel miracle. Sexy times. Only one camel died en route, and uh, two new camels were born in Noah's Ark fashion. A funny kind of peek into to what degree um, biblical uh, knowledge would have played in this endeavor is the fact that everybody connected with the camels and the, and the newborn camel corps referred to the young as colts. Uh-huh. Even though in standard English we would say calves, uh, colts is the term used in the King James Bible. Really? For young camels. And therefore, that's what the Camel Corps officers ended up calling them for as long as this lasted. Now, this says that a camel's gestation period is between 12 and 14 months. So they must have bought pregnant camels without knowing it. They bought pregnant camels. Maybe they didn't know it. Maybe he oh. had read enough. Maybe he pointed his uh, camel fetus detector from. Uh, from the Quadro Co. co. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'll take that one and that. Uh, maybe he just liked chonk camels. Never go up to a camel and say like, oh, look at that bump. Uh, when's it due? <laughs> you know, it's a real, it's a real faux pas. That you might just, never know. That might just be its hump. You don't, that's a very embarrassing moment if you screw that up. Um, their, their choice of the, they appeared to have done a great job with their horse trading. They bought good camels that survived a very long ocean voyage back to Indianola, Texas, uh, the Gulf port where they ended up landing. Um, they did a much worse job with the uh, manpower they brought back with them. Oh, they brought some camel They brought back six folks. Arabs to drive the camels and one uh, Turkish man to be a veterinarian. And I think this may have been your classic 19th century Orientalist view of... Uh, Every Turkish guy knows how to veterinarian I'll ju- I'll just a camel. Get, I'll just get these brown people and they'll know what to do with camels. Of course they will. I mean, Turks are famously good veterinarians, but they don't know much about camels. You, you know, John, even that kind of model minority stereotype can be harmful. Oh, I see what you're please saying. Don't, please right. don't perpetuate this idea that all Turks are good veterinarians. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, point taken. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, you know, I think do better. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. It's a lot of work. They, I think they discovered very quickly that you can't just pick a random Turkish guy who says. I mean, and some of this may just be the eagerness of uh, of people in a Mediterranean bazaar to be like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah I'll do that for you." Show, show me your uh, show me your briefcase of ingots again. Oh yeah, we can help with. This. Well, it might have been a Slovenian guy who was like, "I can put on a fez," and he drew a little mustache. The, uh, they find out that the veterinarian is not all he uh, appears to be when no matter what ailment on the boat or back on land he's presented with, he decides to uh, wave a dried chameleon uh, under the nose of the sick animal. Right. Um, which, you a dried know, chameleon. A karma chameleon. Yeah, it would be a karma chameleon, in <laughs> fact. Chameleons have good karma. So did they throw him off the boat or did they make it all the way to Texas? I think they get to Texas with their full unqualified staff in tow. And the camels wind up at Camp Verde, Verde, Texas, near San Antonio. And at this point, um, they find both some of the problems and the possibilities of their new 33 camel corps. For one thing, uh, the horses and mules are terrified. Oh, big red monsters. You can't just put a big red monster in your stable and expect the horses to mule. They have no instinctive 
awareness of what to do with a, uh, a hooved animal like them that is also like 1.5 or to two times their size. And, and, and uh, they don't have a great reputation for being like really friendly. Camels. Camels? They do not, and that's going to come up in our story again. That's, it's, it's one of the principal reasons why we don't have, why you, John, could not enlist today and join the Camel Corps. Because they're, because they're grouchy? The grouchiness is a huge part of, you know, you know what the Army does not like in its, uh, in its tools and underlings? Grouchiness. What? Really? The Army is anti-grouchy. It seems like there have always been grouchy people in the Army, and there always will. Well, you know, once you get to a point, a certain point of... Uh, of uh, promotion, you yeah. can be grouchy with those below you. Oh, okay. Arlie Ermy can be grouchy yeah. to uh, 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 Vincent D'Onofrio. Yes. But Vincent D'Onofrio has no power to be grouchy to Arlie Ermy. Until he's born again hard, and then he can kill him in a shower. <laughs> or try. <laughs> he can, but until that point, he's just going to do a lot of push-ups. If you're, yeah, if you're, right. grou- if you're grouchy to Arlie Ermy, you're going to be doing some, some Arlie burpees. Hey, John, let's record an ad for native in verse. What rhymes with deodorant? Uh, three-odorant. <laughs> what is that? Is that like a, a deodorant that's really good, like native? Yeah. What, yeah. what about like motor trend? Is that close enough? Uh, like motor trend car of the year? Yeah, like a floater friend. Native's deodorant is as good as the car of the year from motor trend. Motorant. What rhymes with contains no aluminum? Um... Is, ruminant? You know, fl- is, it helps you not smell like a ruminant? I uh, invited the groom and them. <laughs> the groom and them. And them. The, the groom, groom and them. That's what the, yeah, that's what the wedding party is called. Yeah. The groom and them. Uh, well, we could pronounce it the British way. Uh, native aluminium. has no aluminium. And you need that for your apartment or? Condominium. See, it's much better. This is much easier in the UK. This is why all the great poets are British. <laughs> As you can gather, we want to recommend the fine hygiene products of our sponsors at Native. They're aluminum-free, cruelty-free, they're vegan, which makes them meat-free. No no big chunks of meat or dairy in this deodorant, unlike some other brands. And uh, and they're so cost-effective that they're, I mean, they're not free-free, they're not money-free. No, but they're free of junk. You know, a lot of people use antiperspirant, thinking mm-hmm. that that's the way. But antiperspirant, as as the name suggests, you don't want to not perspire. That's that's terrible for that, your body. That's not what your body's telling you. Plus, a lot of the ingredients that might make you uh, not perspire are not supernatural or organic. Right. So, so this is so native. Isn't just a great deodorant. It's a it's a uh, a healthful alternative to using antiperspirant. It'll keep you feeling fresh all day long. Just, you know, you don't have to worry about switching protection. In fact, in Native's own ad lingo, they say don't sweat about making that switch. See, that's and that's good. that's good. That's why they that's why they're ad writers and we're not. They have over 15,000 five-star reviews. That's almost as many as the Omnibus podcast. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's a good thing we have 15,001. <laughs> <laughs> or, or really, we should be doing ads with, with them instead of the other way around. But think about think about five star reviews, how hard they are to get, and think about how much you'd have to like a deodorant to go online and say five stars over fifteen thousand people. That's got to be a quality product, because otherwise you'd yeah. just be like, I'm putting this on and it's fine. I have nothing to tell my phone or laptop about it. 
So if you want to smell and feel fresh all day long. Who doesn't want that? Get native with 20% off on your first order by going to nativedeo. That's D-E-O, like the first three letters of deodorant. Oh, I get it now. Yeah. It's not like in Excelsius D-O. No, no. This isn't a it's, special Christmas deal. They, did, they didn't want to have it be nativedeodorant.com. Too because long. Long, right. But nativedeo.com slash omnibus. Use the promo code omnibus at checkout. That's nativedeo.com slash omnibus, or just use promo code omnibus at checkout, and then you'll get 20% off your first order. Not free, but pretty good. Don't sweat it. Get native. It's so good. You know what's cute? Baby camel. Baby camels are super cute. This probably came up when we talked about camel beauty contests. The I don't attra- know. The attractiveness of the camel will not come up. Now, that okay. in, in this show, we're treating camels as a, as a fearsome uh, creature of the night. So they scared the horses and donkeys. Yes. However, they appeared to have... But the cats loved them. They appeared to have... They, here's how Wayne, persu- Wayne and Porter persuade the local uh, uh, horsemen and cattlemen and, and muleteers that there might be some potential to this camel. They've worked out this demonstration where they get their best-paved camel to kneel down on two legs, as a trained camel will do to let the, to let the rider on. They take two enormous bales of hay, and they say, hey, we're going to put this on this camel. And all the mule team guys are like, the hell you are. That's an amount of hay that would kill any beast of burden. They put the two bales on the camel while the muleteers grumble. And then I think Wayne and Porter do a bit like, oh, wow, you... Th- Oh, you think? Is this, ooh, or is this going to be trouble? And But this is all showmanship. Then they're like, let's just put two more on. Oh, no. And they load two more bales on the camel, which then stands up and wanders away as if nothing has happened with four ginormous hay bales on his back. And the mule teams are agog. They toted that barge and lifted that bale. Camels are uh, apparently very good. Yeah, at, they're strong. At what they do. They're big and strong. Uh, however... But except for this, the fact that they spook everyone and everything on the post means that uh, there's not a lot of embrace of this new initiative. You know what? Also, the army loves it. It's at its middle to lower levels. New ideas. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing about a horse is, you know, a horse has those those doughy eyes and those long eyelashes, and they really seem to be peering into your soul. Camels have eyelashes. Well, they do. They're very beautiful, as we talked about, but they uh, they seem... I don't know. Camels seem a little sarcastic. <laughs> Their behavior is, is certainly not uh, in line with a lot of uh, ideas about military discipline. You hardly ever meet a sarcastic horse. I mean, they can be ornery, but they're not like, they're not mocking you. Well, you're not wrong. Before we get into these objections to camels, let's talk about their brief success, which are mostly owed to one person, a Lieutenant Edward Beale. Uh-huh. Um, who was already a hero of uh, of the West? He was a hero of um, of some skirmishes with the Mexicans. He it was he and Kit Carson who had crawled through Mexican lines to relieve a siege at San Diego uh-huh. in 1846. He's also part of history, but not that San Diego, a different San Diego. No, I believe it was San Diego, California. Oh, okay. Uh, San Diego is not besieged today, but I think in 1830, except by nerds well, once yeah. a year at Comic-Con. All those housing developments out in La Jolla. <laughs> but uh, he and Kit Carson were a hero of this Mexican siege. Uh, he also happened to be the one who carried the first gold from California 
back to Washington D.C. in 1849. Cool, so that's cool. that's a real feather in your in your frontiersman cap, mm-hmm. right? Um, Beale was very excited about the idea of the Camel Corps, and in fact, he had. Uh, and after spending a few months getting used to the camels and seeing their potential, he decided to lead them, or you know, to have them lead him, I guess, on a route he was surveying between. Uh, Fort Defiance, New Mexico, and the California border, basically. All, you know, all the way across much of the New Mexican desert and all of the Arizona desert. He chose 25 of Wayne and Porter's best camels. Porter had gone back uh, and uh, brought 44 more back on a second trip. Cool. So he's got 25 of Wayne's camels, 44 of um, Porter's. I just realized, I guess that's 69. So nice, (laughs) nice job, Beal. I feel like Wayne and Porter's best camels is some kind of Brooklyn like place to get coffee and dry goods. (laughs) It could be a band even. It could be a hipster band. Uh, Today, the route and the camels end up being perfect for this survey expedition. In fact, today, well, not today, but in the 20th century, that route was, became the Western half of route 66. So, what well we done. think what we think of as the classic arterial through the American West, first mapped by camels and their riders. Rad. And Beale loves these camels. They can carry twice the load of any of his other animals. They can move at twice the speed of any of his other animals. Oh. They can ford rivers without blinking an eye that uh, his other beasts either shy away at or get washed away by. They're good at high altitude. They're better in cold weather. Beale is a big fan. He has gone native. In fact, he even learns some Arabic commands, thinking that this will endear him <laughs> to the camels. I don't know if at this point he thinks they actually speak Arabic because they're that from that part of the world, or if possibly there were they were trained camels who who did reply to some. He should be speaking to them in Berber. Exactly. Exactly. This is um, indigenous erasure. Yeah. To learn Arabic only. Arabic being the colonizer's language. At this point, Jefferson Davis has been replaced by a new Secretary of War, now a uh, one Secretary Floyd. Um, Beale's work of taking these camels through the desert, through the Sierras, it's a huge success. This actually persuades um, John Floyd to say, we are going to have a big camel corps. It's time to scale this up. Floyd goes to Congress and says, we need a thousand more camels now. Yes. Um, history would have gone very different if I Congress had this. been like... Yeah, yeah, we yeah. should have a thousand more camels because there'd be a million wild camels in the in the southwest now. There would, they would have uh, very few predators out there. The, the the rare cougar, but not enough to take out a thousand camels. <laughs> no, no, cougars would have met their match. Uh, unfortunately, in 1858, a few things are going on that derails this plan. Uh, a civil war is looming. It's obvious even to the to the uh, untrained eye that a civil war may come. And this becomes the main, the main military objective now is no longer the Mexican border. It's no longer exploration and surveying the West. It is like, what if we end up having to fight brother against brother? Yeah. As it were. Spoiler alert. So uh, better ships of the desert, no longer a priority. Uh, Second in building up for the war effort, Porter and Wayne are both transferred back East um, Ooh. so that's the new, uh, 
That's the new problem, leaving behind really the only people who have any appreciation for, and Beal as well, Beal as well as transferred back east. So the only people now who have any uh, appreciation for the Camels are actually the, the new staff that Porter had brought back on his second trip after the first guys turned out to be frauds and fakers. Also from Arabia? Yeah, he brought back uh, a Turk named Elias. That doesn't seem like a real Turkish name, but he was uh, one of these... There were three skilled handlers, one a Turkish guy, whose son later became a Turkish hyphenate president of Mexico. Then there was a Greek guy named Georges Zaralampo, and a cheerful uh, Arab known as Haji Ali, who was so... Um, is this a Tintin comic? Yeah, there's one of everything, <laughs> basically. There's an Eskimo guy holding a harpoon. Are they, uh, They're all from Cyprus. That's, what, that's why they're all here. That's the thing. They didn't go very... You know, they went to whoever the traders were at their westernmost point at the same point. This fact-finding mission hit its easternmost point. I mean, where's the one place you can find a Turk, a Greek, and an Egyptian who all know how to ride camels? Cyprus. This is uh, this guy's named Haji Ali, um, who, even though nobody likes his camels, they all think he, he's such just a beloved, jovial, Tintin-like Near Eastern figure. Mm-hmm. Everybody calls him High Jolly. High Jolly. Oh, High Jolly. Um, today, there's actually a statue of him at, at the Arizona Monument to the Camel Corps. There's actually a statue of this beloved Arabian camel trader. Um, unfortunately, this all runs afoul of... Really, I guess I did not know about this myth of the American West. But you know how we always talk, think about... Um, how is there a myth of the American West that you don't know? Well, you know how we think about the, the, the cowboy that loves his horse. Cowboys yeah. love and rely Platonic on their horses. Their horse. Well, yeah, I'm not talking about anything else. I'm just saying like the, the loyalty... Be- Enumclaw. The loyalty, right. The loyalty between man and horse powers a lot of our yeah. myths about the West. In fact... Uh, what I have learned from this nineteen sixties account. Tell me that cowboys hate their horses. They treated the everybody treated basically their horses and mules as kind of just interchangeable tools to brutalize. When oh. when Owen Wister, the author of the Virginian, wrote a story of the West in which a cowboy, you know, cruelly gouged out the eyes of a disobedient horse, um, his biggest fan Theodore Roosevelt said, "Don't please don't put this in the story." You know, it'll encourage cruelty to animals. Um, but R- Teddy had to agree with Wister. This is exactly the kind of treatment that was commonplace uh. in the West. Even if you were, even if you were weren't a cruel man, you would still dig your spurs into the hide of your horse to get whatever you could out of it. Um, the reason why mule drivers were called mule skinners is because they had these weighted whips that they would use to just literally skin off strips of flesh from the side of their of their beasts. Ouch. The that, West was that feels like a bad use of your investment. The West was hard on its animals. Um, you would just pile, you know, if you piled too much on it, it would, it would just groan and, uh, refuse to do anything, but you would kick it and beat it into submission. And what they found, what these cruel men found was that you could not do that with a camel. Oh, if you overloaded a camel, it would just sit there. If you tried to prod it into action with your weighted whips and your, sticks it would turn and spit gross smelling camel cut in your face um in one case uh, a furious mule driver said well i'm going to escalate and he just started clubbing the camel at which point the camel turned its head and like basically bit off the guy's arm like bit his arm to the bone 
with its massive camel incisors. So it turned out... I'm even more pro-camel now. Exactly. Like it turned out, you know, if you had done this 100 years later with better animal treatment standards, uh, well, first of all, you would have had Jeeps by then, so it would have been a bigger ask, but... There um, are still places in the United States where people go via mule and horse that they and could they treat, be, And they treat them better. Yeah, but they could be riding camels. We now learned that we should all, all the army, all the people in the army should treat their horses the way Colonel Potter did on MASH. Yes. And not the way these mean, sexually frustrated mule drivers were doing. Um, and then there was the objection, you know, as we've pointed out, that camels were foreign, you know, that we don't need uh. these kind of suspect un-American uh, elements in, in, yeah, but in horses are army. foreign to America <laughs> yeah, right. too. And as it, you know, the, and as it turned out, the camel was more native to the Americas than, than any horses. I've never ridden a mule down into the Grand Canyon. And I think the reason I haven't is because I've been waiting to do it on a camel. <laughs> I didn't know that that was an option, but a mule feels too small. The problem me. is it would have to be BYOC. Yeah. Like, are you going to get that camel they trot out at the Seattle nursery on Christmas? I think they don't. You don't because you, you've, you've, as you said, you've played Christmas carols with that camel. I have. That camel and I had a you're, pretty good relationship. You're a double act. But I feel like the, um, I feel like the, I'm looking for a new entrepreneurial opportunity and I feel like maybe bringing camels to the American West might be like a money earner. Good news, listeners. John is looking for a new entrepreneurial activity. Please send him all your suggestions yep. and investments and scams. A guy, uh, a guy from uh, 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 an amazing listener of Omnibus, a futureling, uh, after our cryptocurrency episode, put $10 worth of Ethereum in my crypto wallet. The only person to have responded to my crypto entreaty gave me $10 worth it's, of Ethereum. It's good. It means our listeners are less credulous than, uh, than Quadro Tracker buyers. Well, no, it means there's only one futureling who has any real faith ethereum and today my ten dollars is worth eleven dollars uh but there was a time not very long ago ethereum is plunging today but uh there was a time it was worth like a dollar sixty but anyway he said to me at the time look right now twitter stock is like twenty dollars a share but elon's going to be forced to buy it at the price that he said, which was four twenty or whatever, and uh, and so you he should, wanted to pay sixty nine thousand four hundred twenty dollars per share. <laughs> he said, "All you need to do right now is buy a bunch of Twitter stock because it's guaranteed that it's going to sell it." And I believed him, but I was like, "Oh God, it's I got to go across the room and open my computer." So I didn't do it. Also, who cares? Also, but, I'm not sure that would have been a good long-term investment. No, but he was right. In the short term. Because he, he wrote me later and he was like, I hope you followed my advice. And he was sitting on a pile of money. As long as you didn't buy Tesla, I guess. Anyway, with all these institutional problems and all the pro-camel officers rotated out, um, the initiative went nowhere. The camels were released over a period of time. Just to, into the wild? Well, that's best case scenario. You know, some wound up in circuses and zoos. Um Others were just released into the wild. Others were used as target practice, <laughs> either by soldiers or by whoever came across them. You know, it, you realize when you read these accounts how much of the uh, the attitude of the American West was, hey, there's a thing. Let's shoot it. Right. Those trappers or those miners who were like, look at that. Get it. Let's get it. 
Because, you know, back then you couldn't get things. You could only get them. You could. With an IT. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Um, but none of this solves the mystery of the Red Ghost. Because when the Red Ghost was finally um, examined up close, when anybody ever got close enough to see, they did confirm that, yes, there were the remains of a body, now mostly skeletal, on its dromedary hump. But it was not a rider who had who had just, you know, died in the saddle. Uh, there was evidence that whoever was there had been lashed to the camel with rawhide by a third party. Huh. So now the question becomes, who would put somebody on a camel and why? And I guess there the real question is, was the rider alive? When they were lashed. Right, yeah. Did somebody lash uh, a victim to a camel and then send the camel off into the desert like as a cruel way to kill someone or was it Pretty good joke. an even more yeah it's hilarious or was this an even more kind of confusing and disrespectful thing where somebody got rid of some remains by tying them to a, <laughs> by lashing them to a camel i i wonder first of all i wonder why did the camel trample the woman in the first episode and also is there a way that you c- could have been you were passing out and you were like i'm going to lash myself to this camel no, I mean, no. I think that was what was assumed, but the nature of the, you know, the rawhide strips were tied to the to the rider, if you want to call him that, in such a way that you could not have done it yourself. Right. It's clear that the knots were, were lashed and tied by somebody who had extra hands. Wow. And neither the rider nor the camel does. They have the perfect alibi. Um, so the local newspapers writing about this are, you know, are like, did somebody tie somebody on for revenge or did they tie a dead body on for even more uh, macabre? purposes maybe it was revenge against the camel can you imagine wandering the desert with a dead well that's the thing the camel is the one who suffered right um you know it's you know in silence in silence i guess but even the ones that have been evolved to carry or have been trained to carry a human rider don't want to carry a dead weight rider in perpetuity for apparently decades although when the head fell off it got lighter and i wonder if yeah that was a good day for that camel it's like I don't know what I don't know what it is, but I'm in a really good mood. <laughs> I think the there's speculation that just having this on its back is what put it in such a bad temper because it it did react badly to people every time it's you know the the woman it trampled was the only time it, the red ghost killed, but the red ghost did react badly and aggressively every other time it saw people. Right. So it was not happy about whatever its story was. No, I bet he was like, "Keep away from me! I don't want you tied on my back." The uh, even after the army gave up on the Camel Corps, not everyone did. Um, some years later, some San Francisco mining money decided. You know what the army's problem is? They brought in those one humped camels. Oh no, those are bad news. No, they weren't going to bring those two. We camels. need Bactrian camels up in here, and so they set up kind of a similar, but you know, libertarians take note. Privatized free enterprise. Uh, 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 consortium right to bring bactrian camels to the american west could they afford to bring as many as the army had brought i think it was fewer yeah um but they're they're fuzzier bactrian camels yeah but the idea that these are the nice ones apparently was just some kind of you know legend unsupported by biology or admiral animal husbandry they're Um, not nice either no they're no they're no more at all um so now you know, for, for decades, there were both one-humped and two-humped camels, and they're 
you know, dying off as they wandered, you know, because they didn't really have a lot of chances to breed, I assume. So the population declined pretty quickly. There, Are the two types of camels fertile ooh, with one another? That's a good question. Can you get a 1.5 humped camel? Or a three hump camel? Do you think it's additive? I'm not sure. <laughs> Is, do, when, when, when two humans reproduce, do they have four armed children? <laughs> It doesn't seem likely. No, my guess is yes. Um, they are different species, though. But the you know. dromedary and Bactrian camel, although taxonomically distinct species, are capable of interbreeding with one another. And does it say how many humps when it, they hump? It is a hybrid camel, and it looks like it has a. It's furry like a Bactrian camel, and it has one giant hump, like a like a. Uh, dromedary camel and they are cool looking that's the kind of camel i want a hybrid camel well that could have happened in the american west i think one of few places where both were running around but maybe they you know a body never met a body coming through the the sagebrush right the uh, so all this red ghost stuff happens just decades after you know more than 20 years after the founding of the camel corps oh wow you can mate a camel with a llama and what do you get? A camel with two L's? You get a comma. A camel lull. Is it a comma? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's more like a semicolon, That right? seems like a disagreeable animal, too. Um, the final encounter with the red ghost happened about... Six uh, hours ago. Yeah. It happened about a year after its its lone murder. Um, a cowhand heads out to a... Is riding past a branding corral that should have been open and empty... And he sees an animal in there, and he thinks, oh, one of the steers got out. So he rides up there to lasso the beast. Um, and when the animal charges at him, he reflexively puts a lariat around his neck, and then he sees he does not have a steer. He has a big camel, and now he's got it by the neck. And what do you do? <laughs> uh-huh. The horse does the well-trained thing where it kind of rears up and and you know, pirouettes to avoid so its hooves don't come down on the steer that's, the rope steer that's charging it. Um, and the, a, a cow probably would have known to avoid the horse in that case, but not the camel. The camel just keeps on going, puts its head down and keeps on going, just crashes into the off-balance horse and everybody goes down together in a heap and the camel runs off into the night. Um the cowhand notices only one thing about this encounter, which is there is still the the remains. Of, there are still human remains um, clinging to its back, and that's the last time um, that anybody noticed its uh, its payload, as it were. Um, but and that's probably because it, at at some point it was able to lose the unwanted hitchhiker. Um, its final appearance in the local lore happened in February of 1893 when the Mojave County Miner reported the following. This is about 10 years after it trampled the woman. This is, uh, this is 1893. And a long distance away. Yeah, it's now, it's now quite a ways from the state, uh, from, the, from, the, um, from the initial sheep ranch in southeast Arizona. The story says, is headlined, The phantom that terrified all Arizona for a time. Another ghost is laid. Another of the tribe of gaunt hobgoblins that keep the romance of the mysterious southern deserts is gone. Even in 1893, people are bemoaning the uh, the end of the frontier myth. Is this a thing where the 
the headline wasn't written by the author of the piece. Back then, it seems like it might be. Um, but also, it's kind of funny how, like, even this little tiny mining camp paper, you know, this whatever this tiny Arizona city is, has this incredibly flowery prose. Like, so it's like Bret Hart or Mark Twain is writing for them. Another of the unearthly dangers of the timid Mexican women used to pray against has departed. So, like, racism in the second sentence. That's cool. Mizzou Hastings of Orr, that's the mining town, O-R-E, was the priest that exorcised this phantom. Mizzou... I don't know what that's short for. Has a ranch Missoula. a little... Yeah, Missoula Hastings, Esquire. Mizzou has a ranch a little above the gold camp on the San Francisco River. He woke up one morning and saw through the window of his cabin a big red camel banqueting in his turnip patch. Yeah, that's Mizzou, how they do. Mizzou took... See, and this confirms our story about what you do when you, in, in the American West when you see literally anything. Mizzou took a dead rest on the windowsill and blazed away. So you, you would understand take a dead rest to be... You know, uh, yeah. rested a rifle on, or, or shotgun on the window. So he got the camel. Uh, when he went out to examine the beast, he found that he was all scarred up and evidently had a very hard time. He was covered with a perfect network of knotted rawhide strips. They had been on him so long that the rawhide had, the strands had shrunk and cut their way into his flesh. Oh. So you can see why the red ghost was in a bad mood all this time. The yeah. The rawhide was just digging and chafing into his his poor back. Maybe Missoula did him a favor. Maybe because he finally put the red ghost out of his misery. Um, you know, the interesting thing is that, so the story, you know, if, if we follow the story of the red ghost through, he first appears in 1883, trampling a, a lady. And then by 1893, he's shot by rancher Mizzou Hastings. But in researching this story, Robert Froman, who had crisscrossed the West found a lot of old timers reporting on, Oh, I, there's still camels out there. You know, yeah. I still saw one, um, you know, the, the crew surveying the Mexican border in 1901 saw one, the Atchison, Topeka and Santa Fe railroad, uh, workers saw some in the, in the 1910s. So I guess that would be after statehood, right? For Arizona, um, a camel stampeded horses west of Palm Springs in 1929 In 1941, there's one reported, uh, east of the Salton Sea. And in 1957, Froman himself talked to some sourdough desert rat hermit type who said uh i've never seen one but um but no the camels are still deep in the hills of the sonoran desert and, i hear them and down and down in baja yeah so the ghosts you know well into the the 50s and 60s were said to still be wandering those hills and we we may never know even though we have a death certificate for the red ghost himself by virtue of the rawhide strips you know, we don't know how long the last and the descendant of the Camel Corps lasted in the in the wilds of the American West. We should go out and broadcast the call to prayer and see if they come. Are, wait, are you implying that camels are observant Muslims? Yeah. And that concludes the Red Ghost. Entry 1042.LV1104. Certificate number 45334 in the Omnibus. Future links in the unlikely event the social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at Omnibus Project. Our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. Our email, which was a popular form of written electronic communication at the time, was theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can hang out with other Omnibus fans 
by typing the word futurelings into whatever social media platform you patronize. Futurelings will rise up like the cream above your corn. They're so great. If you want to send us some mail, you can send it to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Sounds like you've got a, a, a box. Yeah, but this Amazon Prime tape is so sturdy, we may never know what lies within. What did someone Amazon us, and will Amazon put in the little gift tag that tells us? This might be an example of brushing, a thing I learned about today. What? Brushing is when a, a company in China sends you a package of seeds and then uses the fact that you received the seeds ah, yes. to make you into a verified consumer. I love this scam. Let's brush everyone. Let's see. Okay, they, they did remember the gift card. So we now have a story. Okay. Except all it says is thank you from Anonymous. <laughs> thank you, Anonymous. In the event you guys put together an actual time capsule for out of space for outer space, please include these stones. If so inclined, feel free to research their properties. Oh, it's a it's a mystery. This is the best note I've ever had. Stones. And what we've been sent is a set of crystals and healing stone sets for beginners. 17 piece colorful healing crystal kit including raw and tumbled chakra stones chakra stones we have a chakra balancing set chakra balancing so i can't tell if this guy um loves the healing property of crystals and wants to evangelize to us or if he i mean what he says is he wants us to shoot them into space well uh, are there two exactly the same or there is there only one set one bag is raw one bag is tumbled do you feel like your chakras are in need of Raw or tumbled stones. Well, we should read the instructions before we before it's we. It's true. Know. You don't want to just mess around. Like, what if I put a Vishuddha chakra stone on my Anahata or my Manipura? You don't want to do that. Thank you so much, anonymous uh, listener. I wish we could say your name because now who, we don't we don't know who to make fun of. Well, here, let me see the let me see those. Do you need to align your chakras so right now? badly? I don't know if these rocks are going to help, but. I do need to align my chakras. You can just give them to your sister. Oh, what are these little things? You know, she's in Bali right now. Oh, then she doesn't need any alignment. She's surrounded by uh, indigenous wisdom. Yeah, she's getting it. Oh, and there's lots of little bags. You know, I like a little bag. And other things besides. This was a, quite a gift. I feel like our kids are going to enjoy these, even if we never shoot them into space. And by them, I mean the kids. I'm definitely planning on shooting my kid into space. Wow, there's all kinds of little things here. What a nice gift. Thank you, Anonymous. And finally, uh, if you you do not have the ability, or even if you do have the ability, to send us healing chakra stones and energy blocks um, to, uh, to straighten out the harmony of our body's energy fields, Please support the show at patreon.com slash omnibus. Your generous contribution in the form of a cash pledge keeps us in business. You could send us healing crystals as well. But, yes. But uh, in absence of that, if you if you have not sent us healing crystals lately, you really should head to Patreon. In absence of or addition to. Hi thee to Patreon. Listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe that rattles our chakras may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. In which case, you might wonder, why did they do two camel shows in their first 520? 
<laughs> it's a bit much. Well, but unless futurelings are sentient camels. Why did they only do two, <laughs> two camel shows in their first 520? If Providence allows, humped listeners, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. 